Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure, Take with, the adventure us. with 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 us. couldn't resist that. I thought we needed some epic music for our continuation of our journey in the Odyssey. Hello, this is Sean Marlon Newcomb. This is the 34 Circe Salam, the Parallax Channel. We are doing Classical Studies 101, and we are exploring the Odyssey. Uh, this is going to be Chapter 4 today, so thank you for listening. As always, please be so kind as to leave a nice um, rating or a nice comment on whatever podcast platform you're using to listen to this so that more people can find us. Well, how could we possibly continue our journey without the help of the one, the only, Dr. Gary Stickle? Welcome, Gary. Welcome. Thank you. So, Gary, uh, chapter four. Uh, where are we in the Odyssey? And... Uh, Start to take us along this first, this uh, chapter. Okay. Um, as uh, the translators refer to it, book four, uh, but it's actually chapter four. And again, uh, I'm, I'm going to read quotes from uh, Robert Fagel's translation, very readable translation, 1996 uh, translation. And his title of the chapter is The King and Queen of Sparta. And uh, as we finish up chapter three, uh, what happened is um, the son of Odysseus, Telemachus, is now about 20 years old, and, and a son of King Nestor, and they visited King Nestor at his palace there on the uh, Peloponnesus. Um, uh, since he couldn't find word of his father Odysseus from King Nestor, he decided to go on to meet uh, Menelaus, the king of Sparta, because he might have uh, might have information, know about, you know, if his father's alive or dead or where he is. And so the son of Nestor, uh, Pisistratus and uh, Telemachus take a chariot from King Nestor's uh, palace. And, uh, and so as book four opens, uh, they're arriving in Sparta. And it goes like this. And the last day, meaning Telemachus and Pisistratus, uh, gained uh, Lacedaemon. Now, Lacedaemon is another name for Sparta. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, and at the Battle of Thermopylae, you know, we talked about that previously. Uh, uh, just, you know, this came up because of a name I saw the other day. So that is another name for Sparta. Uh, the Dorians. Uh, are that is that's tied, of course, to Sparta too. Is that correct? Well, the Dorians were um, early Greek, uh, you know, uh, inhabitants of Greece. I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but they went to they go to the Peloponnesus. Yes, I mean, but okay. I, I they're not just uh, Spartans or uh, other uh, in that whole region. Okay, you know, they became other Greeks as well. You know. 
Very, yeah, it's interesting. It's but anyhow, the, the reason I mentioned, well. uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, the the other reference mm-hmm. uh, is that uh, you know the, the the king of the Spartans, Leonidas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he uh, holds off the Persians there at the Battle of Thermopylae, a, a narrow defile, they call it, between the cliffs and the sea. As, so, as everyone remembers from the 300, right? Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so uh, he tells uh, other Greeks to return and find another day. You know, he, some of the Greeks stayed with him, but uh, a lot, you know, thousands of them left. And he wanted them to leave to find another day which they did later on. <clears throat> and uh, so uh, they have a statue of uh, him at Thermopylae today, and it's and it says on the pestle, his famous quote, go tell the Lacedaemons that we lie here obeying their orders. And what he meant by Lacedaemon was Sparta. And by lying here, meaning that they, they died to preserve Greece. Sparta is really an ancient lineage, isn't it? It's got a lot of continuity yes. from this earlier Trojan era down through the classical era. So, Okay, so this is how it opens. At last uh, day, Telemachus and Pisistrata gained uh, like a daemon ringed by hills and drove up to the halls of Menelaus in his glory. They found the king inside his palace celebrating with throngs of kingsmen a double wedding feast for his son and lovely daughter. And so the, the princess, uh, he was going to send on to the son of great Achilles. So he's going to marry her off to the son of Achilles. Uh, and uh, and then his own son, his name is uh, Megapenthes, uh, was born to uh, Menelaus by a slave. I thought that's interesting. And then it mentions... Uh, Helen, and it says uh, to Helen, to Helen, the God said, uh, and by the way, you know, uh, Menelaus was going to kill Helen at Troy, but he couldn't do it. He loved her. Uh, it's it's interesting that he has a child by a slave and is upset that uh, Helen has either run off or she's taken by Paris. It's, it's again, it's, we talk about the double standard that we often see in Greek culture, Greek yes. work. So that's a perfect example. And so, um, and then, he, then it mentions uh, Helen, the gods had granted no more offspring since she had borne her first child, the breathtaking Hermione. Luminous as, uh, as lumin- with luminous beauty as gold as Aphrodite, meaning the, the goddess of love. And so, um, uh, Menelaus was feasting in his grand palace with his kinsmen and so on. And uh, and he's there's a bard that's singing uh, with his lyre, and he has tumblers that are uh, dancing and dashing and springing about and so on. And then the the, the travelers, Nestor's shining son and Prince Telemachus, uh, brought their horses, meaning their chariot horses, to a standstill just outside the court, where they're greeted by Lord uh, Etonius. And so. Uh, and, and again, uh, I, I mentioned this concept of Xenia, that 
when you have strangers like that arrive, you treat them with respect, you wine and dine them, and you don't ask their name until after they've been wined and dined. No, we talked about that in the last episode. It's interesting. And so that's, that's what happens here it, again. Yeah, it, tie, it ties to me. It's a it it ties to early human behavior and and the need to be welcoming because obviously it's a harsh landscape early humans are living in. So this makes it easier for people to survive. I think so. Yeah, it's, a, I, it's a wonderful I, custom. Sure. Yeah, it really is. And so uh, he speaks to him says, "Strangers who have just arrived." Um, uh, he says, uh, you, "You look like the kin of uh, mighty Zeus himself. Tell me, shall we unhitch their team and so on and send them uh, free to host?" He's talking to Middle at this point. I mean, Etonius. Uh, 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 send them elsewhere and so on. And the red-haired king took great offense at that. And he says, "Never a fool before Etonius." Uh, now I see you babbling like a child. Just think of all the hospitality we enjoyed at the hands of other men before we made it home. And God save us from such hard treks in years to come. Quick, and hits their chariot team and bring them in, strangers' guests, to share in our flowing feast. So then he, he welcomes them in. And then before they even have the feast, get this, he says, uh, 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 he says, uh, once they feasted, uh, I guess, once they feasted, uh, then into his burnished tubs, they climbed and bathed when women washed them down, rubbed them with oil and, and gave them uh, warm fleece and shirts about their shoulders and so on. And then they took their seats of honor next to Atreides Menelaus. So Menelaus is of the house of Atreides. And that's interesting because uh, that inspired, uh, you know, the book and then the, the two movies that have been made of Dune, where uh, the hero is Paul Atreides. And I'm sure that was inspired by Atreides as mentioned by Homer. Certainly, sure. Yeah. And so then he, you know, Agamemnon Oris, he says, uh, he tells his carver to put before them platters of meat, meat of every sort, and also put before them golden cups. And uh, he said, the, the red-haired King Menelaus greeted uh, both guests very warmly. And he says, help yourselves to food and welcome. Once you've dined, we'll ask you who you are. And so that's, that's what he does. And he says, surely Zeus's court on Olympus must be just like this. Uh, the boundless glory and all his wealth inside. And, th and this is uh, Telemachus talking. My eyes dazzle. I'm struck at wonder. It's, he it's, looks it's, at it's, the it's, everlasting palace and possessions. Right. I think it's, I just want to say, I think it's interesting that he says, we'll ask you who you are after we do this. And as you pointed out again, that's part of the custom, but it's just fascinating to imagine modern culture. I mean, just imagine yourself in the modern world, welcoming a stranger into your house, giving them all sorts of comforts. And then you find out who this person is. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, a, it's a very, you know, it's an open hearted kind of behavior. It is. And it's kind of in contrast to the fact that the uh, Bronze Age Greeks were always fighting each other and warring each other between their city states. The Trojan War being a, a rare exception that they all banded together to fight for a common cause, you know. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but um, 
Uh, we talked before about the battles between uh, Sparta and Athens, for example. So anyhow, um, he, he tells how he got his uh, everlasting palace and possessions. And he says, uh, and, and this is Middle Ages bragging, he says, I must say few, if any, could rival me in riches. And he says, uh, I spent eight years wandering uh, as far as Cyprus, Phoenicia, even Egypt. I reached the Ethiopians, the Sidonians, the Arabians, Libya too. And uh, when, I when I roamed those lands, uh, I amassed a fortune. And so, uh, anyhow, and then he talks about while he's gone, a stranger killed my brother uh, who was blind to the danger. His brother is Agamemnon, the high king that led the Greeks against the Trojans. He says, thanks to that cunning, his cursed murderous queen, meaning Clytemestra. And as I said last time, uh, she and her lover, Aegisthus, um, murdered uh, Agamemnon in, in his bathtub, you know, because he killed their daughter, Iphigenia, in order to appease the goddess Artemis so that they could sail to Troy. <clears throat> Well, the Greeks are, as in all Greek tragedies, they're that that web of different choices that are made that lead to a cascading of other tragic occurrences. You know, the, his choice to to sacrifice his daughter leads to his own demise. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, uh, the great Greek playwrights, you know, uh, wrote about all these tragedies. <clears throat> um. And so, um, and then uh, after a while, um, then Helen comes down and says, um, Helen emerged from her centered lofty chamber, striking as Artemis with her golden shafts, followed by a train of women. And so they bring up a, a chair for her and a soft fleece and so on. Um, and uh, and then they talk about how an Egyptian king gave Menelaus a pair of bathing tubs and silver and tripods of gold and so on. Um, and then uh, and then Helen leans back in her chair, a stool beneath her feet. You know, the royalty had chairs such that they had to have footstools before their feet uh, touched the floor. You know, that kind of thing. Right. Right. And then she says, do we know, my Lord Menelaus, who our visitors are or claim to be? And we welcome our new arrivals. My, right or wrong, what can I say? My heart tells me to come out and say, I've never seen such a likeness, neither in man or woman. I'm amazed at the sight. To the life, he's like the son of great Odysseus. Surely he is Telemachus. The boy, that hero left as a babe in the arms at home when all you Achaeans, meaning Greeks, fought at Troy, launching your your headlong battles just for my sake, shameless whore that I was. Isn't that interesting that Homer has her referred to herself that way? And it's also interesting because in the Iliad, we talked about how humane and how empathetic he was to her yeah. in that epic. You know, it, it does it does point to some of the arguments that people made that we've talked about who uh, the same person is the same person who wrote both. I mean, we both agree. We think that the same person wrote both, that there was a Homer, but it is interesting, the shift in tone in this particular work. Yeah. 
you know, it's much more uh, uh, empathetic and, uh, you know, and, and emotional, I think. And then he says, my dear, my dear, the red-haired king assured her, now that you mentioned, I see the likeness too. And so on. So he, he noticed the, uh, as he clutches his pur- purple robe, you know, purple being a royal color and so on. Um, and then, uh, and then right you are, Pisistratus steps in quickly, son of Atreus, King Menelaus. Here is the son of the great hero, as you say, meaning Odysseus. He says, a noble horseman, Nestor, sent me along to be his escort. Telemachus yearned to see you so you can give him advice or urge some action as to his father, you know, whereabouts. Wonderful, the red-headed king cried out, the son of my dearest friend here in my own house. He said, uh, uh, and he talked about, if only Olympian Zeus, far-seen Zeus, had granted us both safe passage home across the sea in our swift trimmed ships. But, uh, you, you know, Odysseus uh, was still out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, does he, does, does he give, uh, and, and, you know, we know from this chapter, but, you know, tell the listener, does he give Telemachus hope that, uh, that Odysseus is alive? Uh, he does, but uh, he doesn't know, but he does. Mm-hmm. And says, so Menelaus mused and stirred them all in deep desire to grieve, you know, for the possibility he might not be alive. And Helen of Argos uh, dissolved in tears, Telemachus wept too, and so on. And, so on. Um, and then, um, and then to uh, assuage their feelings, right? Uh, then Zeus's daughter, Helen, because she's supposed to be the daughter of Zeus, uh, thought of something else. And to the mixing bowl, the wine mixing bowl, from which they drank their wine, she slipped a drug. Uh, hearts ease, dissolving in anger. Magic to make us all forget our pains. And the, the drug is called Nepenthe. Which is uh, referenced, interestingly, by Edgar Allan Poe. Um, it's says, inter- no, no one who drank it in deeply molded wine could let a tear roll down his cheeks, not even if his mother should die, his father died, and so on. Well, I mean, it's interesting. Again, uh, it, it's referenced by uh, Poe in, in one of his poems, uh, talking about this thing that would ease his own pain. But just the idea, it's kind of amusing in a sort of sinister way that she slips them a Mickey, even though, again, it's she's her intentions are to make things better for people. But again, I think by our modern standards, someone dropping a drug in your drink is probably not a good thing under any no. circumstances. So no. there you go. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, they, they, they just had that on the news about how uh, uh, somebody was dropping fentanyl and somebody's drinks. Oh, God. Oh, my God. That's horrific. Hor- horrible stuff. Yeah, yeah. But anyhow, this this wasn't so severe, but it made you forget all your worries. Um, and it's interesting that the, uh, I think it was the uh, famous actor Charles Lawton, and I think he was married to a you know a famous uh, beautiful actress. I'm trying to think of her name. 
Funny, uh-huh. I just I just heard him reference. It's interesting to hear him reference twice in one day. Uh huh. Anyhow, he bought this property up at, uh, uh, you know, towards uh, Monterey, Big Sur, right. uh, Big Sur, mm-hmm. and he called it Nepenthe. Interesting. Uh, and um, and he he bought it, you know, for his wife. We'll have to look that up. That's very and, uh, interesting. Now they have a beautiful uh, restaurant there, and it's on the cliff, and you can see the beautiful sea crashing against the sea cliffs. And the food is great, and they have a great gift shop there, and it's called Nepenthe. It's a beautiful area. Uh huh. Beautiful area. So she slips them a Mickey. So anyhow, um, uh, and um, again, you know, H- Helen goes on, you know, um, talking about, I yearn to sail back home again. I grieve too late for the madness Aphrodite sent me luring me to Troy, far from my dear land, forsaking my own child, my bridal bed, my husband too, a man who lacked for neither brains or, nor beauty. And then to show you his compassion, because this chapter has compassion in it, and the red-haired Menelaus answered Helen, uh, there was a tale, my lady, so well told. Now then, I have studied in my time the plans and minds of great ones by the score, but never once have I laid eyes on a man like him. What a heart that fearless Odysseus had inside him. What a piece of work. That hero da- dared and carried off in the wooden horse, meaning the Trojan horse, where our best encamped, our champions armed for the bloody death of Troy. When a- along you came, Helen, roused and no doubt by a dark power bent on giving Troy some glory, and so on. So, uh, anyhow, and so he's regaling, regaling them all about Odysseus. Yes. Um, okay. And great, now, great Odysseus. He refers to him as Great Odysseus. And um, and then uh, Telemachus responds, "Son of Atreus, King Menelaus, captain of armies, so much the worse for not one bit of that saved him from his grisly death." So, in other words, Telemachus thinks he he died. You know, but. But come, let us off to bed. It's time to rest. And Helen briskly told her serving women to make beds on the porch's shelter. Now she has them sleep out on the porch of the palace, which I think is interesting. Instead of some room, you know. And Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Maybe I don't. I don't know. I don't. Maybe, know. maybe it's a generous option. Maybe it's an offer of the cooler it might air be. or something. Uh-huh. And uh, so they uh, they slept outside the palace under the four courts colonnade. Young Telemachus and Nestor's shining sun, you know, Pisistratus. And uh, so it goes on. Uh, and uh, and then uh, the next morning, you know, he's, he's talking to uh, Menelaus again. He says, uh, with all the poise he had, Telemachus said, son of Atreus, King Menelaus, captain of armies, I came and hope you can tell me now some news about my father. My house is being devoured, my rich farms destroyed, my palace crammed with enemies, slaughtering on and on, my droves of sheep and shambling longhorn cattle, suitors plague my mother, the insolent overweening. That's why I've come to plead before you now, if you can help me, tell me about his, his cruel death. Perhaps you saw him die with your own eyes or heard the wanderer's end from someone else and so on. 
And then the uh, King Menelaus responds, how shameful. The red-haired king burst out in anger. That's the bed of a brave man and so on. Craven cowards and so on. So he's condemning them and everything. Um, and um, then the, the scene uh, kind of shifts. And uh, because he sees uh, Telemachus off in Pisistratus, uh, so in other words, uh, they leave there to go go back, and you know he's going to help them get back to, uh, well, help uh, Pisistratus get back to uh, Pylos or Pylos to his mm-hmm. father and help Telemachus get back to uh, Ithaca, right, and so on. Um, but then it uh, it shifts to talk about. Um, um, you know, go, goes back to the suitors, mm-hmm. and uh, so it, it has um, the uh, leader of the suitors, Antinous, um, and uh, and it says, um, and he's talking to this other man called Noemon, N O E M O N. And uh, who's, who's, who tells him that Telemachus uh, left and went down to uh, the Peloponnesus to see King Nestor, you know, in Menelaus. He says, tell me the truth. And Tenuous wheeled on Nomon. Where did he go and what young crew went with him? Ithaca's best or his own slaves and servants? Uh, and so on. Uh and um, so he gets on Nomon's case because apparently he helped, uh, you know, Telemachus. And so then he starts saying, uh, I'll waylay him on his way back with ambush. And so, you know, he plots a uh, uh, to intercept him with a ship, a ship with the suitors to kill Telemachus on his way back. And so... so uh, the- so the suitors now are planning to do what we we just mentioned uh, earlier, which is the idea of that the danger that Telemachus faces with them, that to be rid of him. So now that plan is being made more concrete. Yeah. So, and we we and interesting. We go back and forth in the action. That's what Homer is doing uh, in terms of the narrative. So they're, they're plotting that. They they fit right. out a ship. They they uh, I think they have twenty. Men that are going to go on the ship, 20 being uh, twice the sacred number of 10 mm-hmm. as part of the sacred symbolic number system. And uh, and then it goes to back to Penelope uh, as she's sleeping in her rooms in the uh, palace on Ithaca. And uh, she prays to Athena for help. And, and it says, you know, hear me, daughter of Zeus, to shield the son of Tyrus when Athena... Uh, and she says, uh, you know, remember my sake and my darling for my sake and my darling sons, you know, about Odysseus. So Athena, as Penelope is sleeping, it says uh, she transforms herself into a phantom, as the translation says. And she comes into her bedroom and then uh, she says, sleeping Penelope, your heart so wrung with sorrow, no need, I tell you, the gods who live at ease can't bear to let you weep and rack your spirit. Your son will still come home, it is decreed. He's never wronged the gods in any way, and so on. And uh, 
So now, how do we, as we come towards it, how do we, how does the chapter? Well, it uh, ends, it says here, but the suitors boarded their ship now and sailed the sea lanes, plotting in their hearts, Delemachus plunged to death. Off in the middle channel lies between, you know, off, off uh, Ithaca, lies a rocky island just between Ithaca and Same's rugged cliffs, Asteris. And uh, not large, but it has a cove, a harbor of two miles where ships can hide. Here the uh, suitors looked in ambush for the prince. So it's ending with uh, their, their plot, you know, waiting in ambush to try to kill Telemachus. So Telemachus is no further along in terms of under, knowing whether his father is alive or not no. for this chapter. No. Okay. But the suitors are ready to ambush him. So so there we end. So Telemachus still needs to find out the, or at least have a sense of the fate of his father, but also his own fate as this chapter comes to a close. And I, d- well, I just want to add, add one more thing is, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I have this book that my parents bought me when I was a kid and inspired me, a National Geographic book on... Uh, Everyday Life in Ancient Times, and one of the cultures uh, it beautifully represents with a series of wonderful paintings uh, are the Greeks. And one of them shows Thelemachus being sent off by Menelaus and Helen, who's wearing a beautiful flounced skirt. And she's giving him a golden two-handled cup, which is mentioned, you know, where Pisistratus is getting the chariot ready. And all these beautiful paintings have quotes, and the quote is, Cherish the stranger in the house and speed him as soon as he has a mind. Homer's Odyssey. That's wonderful. Well, we thank you, Dr. Gary Stickle. Let's give him the additional shout out. No, thank you. It's it, been fun as always, Sean. This has been the uh, 34 Circe Salam, the Parallax Channel. We are Doing Classical Studies 101, this has been the Iliad, uh, sorry, the Odyssey Chapter 4. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening. I'm Sean Marlon Newcomb, and God bless. We'll talk soon.